You're listening to a session of Come Celebrate, hosted by the Bay Christian Family Church. In the book of Matthew, chapter 13, the scriptures, Jesus actually said, Jesus said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. And so what Jesus is saying, that even though he's begun a whole new kingdom, introduced a whole new lifestyle and platform for us, it doesn't make the old obsolete. For years I thought that the old wineskin was of no value because it couldn't take new wine, only to find out recently that the old wineskin is as valuable to God as the new wineskin. Just that you don't put the new wine into the old wineskin, it has old wine that is well-aged and of great value. And in the kingdom of God, we have the new vibrant generation arising, but it needs the wisdom and the maturity of the older generation. So old wineskins and new wineskins are valuable. We just have to keep it in the right order. Yes? Now, I want to teach and take some of this treasure from the old to stay within the theme of this conference of restoration. I would like to read today, if you'll let me, from the book of Judges, chapter 6, the Old Testament under the J's. Judges chapter 6, reading from verse 1. I know you've all heard about Gideon. I know you have. But you haven't heard what I'm going to tell you. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of the Midianites was so oppressive the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted the crops, the Midianites, Malachites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock, their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them on their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites, so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. In my journey with the Lord, I've noticed people that walk with the Lord, how they go through crises, whether it be marriage, health, whatever it is, oppressive, but nothing gets their attention faster, a Christian, than money. They'll call upon God in a hurry when there's no money. And I've always had the opinion that if you do God's will, he's going to pay the bills. So if you're not getting the flow of money, it's because you're not probably what you're doing what you're supposed to. So you've got to realign your life. And God will always pay the bills. If he's watching over a sparrow, he's got you covered. You don't have to earn it in a way of becoming the best person. He's got to do what he says. It's very simple, not complicated. 
when the Israelites in verse 7 cried out to the Lord, they cried to God because they're really impoverished now. Because of the Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I brought you up out of Egypt. And it's a type of, I heard today, two of you knew, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and I delivered you from the hand of of your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave them their land. I said to you, I'm the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord, now we changed scenes. So what's happened is that they departed from the relationship with God and God turned them over to the Amalekites and these different Midianites to oppress them, and now the prophet tells them why. But here we change scenes, and the angel of the Lord comes and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, where the son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites, hiding away, trying to just survive and make some food. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. <laughs> Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of the Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have. And these words are the ones that caught my attention. Go in the strength you have. Strength? Really? Gideon? And save Israel. What a mammoth task. He's a boy. He tells you, am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family, which means I'm the youngest. The, the sense of it doesn't make any sense. You're sitting here today and you're comparing yourself. Of course, 2 Corinthians says, and I heard Pastor Janine talking about this morning, 2 Corinthians, only fools compare themselves to others. Only fools compare themselves. And the devil will always try to compare you. You'll be taught it by culture. Well, look what your brother's doing. Look how they succeeded. And they'll try to compare you. God's got a destiny that's very unique for you. you don't come, God doesn't value people by the natural successes of man. Yes, it's, he values you by the obedience. Jesus prayed in John 17, Now glorify me. I have done everything you gave me to do. That's how we measure our successes, what God has God given me to do. I'm very aware prophetically of this journey of this church and the, and the life of this church for so many years. And I'm so grateful to God for the never giving up of this family that have plowed and labored so hard. Nobody can tell me that it's just his personality or charismatic way. It's the purity and integrity of hearts that have kept them going year after year. 
They have not escaped criticism or negative talk like, <laughs> if all men speak well of you, the scripture says, beware. But they've been faithful on target. And I'm very aware that God has lined up a prime property for this church. Wait, don't clap. Wait, wait. But the journey that's there is far more thrilling for God than the arrival. It would be absolutely easy for God to give you property, building nothing for God. But nothing would be accomplished in our lives that are eternal. But the consistent journey, and I come to the property, and it's always fascinating to me, the millions of placards and welcoming in your home and, and the excitement, the energy that you greeted with, the message it sends, the signal it sends to the world, and the struggle to find parking and people lined up. You may laugh, but all of that gets God's attention. All of it. And God is far more focused on people that have made an effort today to take off work or to stop their businesses or make an effort to come in the rain. Whatever you've done to get here, you may think you're here by chance. You may think that you just came here because you were, thought it might be fun, but God picked you. You didn't choose him. He chose you very carefully. You may feel that you're not important. You may be sitting here as a guest criticizing and analyzing, and that's okay. God's not threatening you, not the first, and you certainly won't be the last. But God will reveal himself if you're interested. If you really want him, he loves a challenge. You don't scare God any by challenging him because he's, un he's unchanged and he's you cannot prove him wrong. He's just amazing God, and he loves you so much. Now, stay with me. So the journey this church is on, prophetically, and when you finally go into the excitement, is not as much as the building we'll have because the Lord's designed a whole complexity of buildings and, and different functions. He's not just got a hall for you to gather. That's not God's plan. It's much more impactful. This church has had the eyes of the whole world on it. Continually waiting for it to fail. Time after time, so many struggles, so many battles. You'll never know victory unless you have a battle. God didn't promise you a trouble-free life, just a victorious one. Didn't promise you a pain-free life, just a healed one. So you're going to have to go through it to taste that the Lord is good. You don't just taste his good that easily. Are you hearing me? Gideon gets told to go in his strength. What strength could Gideon possibly have? He's a young kid, and he tells, he tells the angel, or God, we debatable to your theology, who he is. And he says, and I'm the least in my family. I'm the youngest. I'm the baby. And he says, go in your strength. Am I not sending you? <laughs> so he says, and the Lord answered, I will be with you and I will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none of them. Gideon replied, if now I've found favor in your eyes, give me a sign. And God's not threatened by someone that's trying to find the way and certainly if they haven't got enough faith. God's willing to strengthen your faith. Gideon hadn't heard a whole lot. I know that he had heard enough about what God has done, bringing them there, but he needed a little more word in him. Uh, so he says, uh, please, let, just give me a sign. Uh, do not go away until I come back and bring my offering that I can set it before you. As the Lord said, I, and I heard them talking tonight about tithes and offering. Let me talk to you for a minute about that from a Jew's point of view, if I may. May I do that for a minute? Because I 
too old to care if you like me or not. <laughs> Tithing is not a, it's not a New Testament or Old Testament theme. It was started right back with Melchizedek and Abraham. It's an old, old foundational set in stone along with faith. And tithing, a tithe is not yours. You can't bring your tithe. It's not, was never yours to bring. It's always been God's. If, you, if it was yours, you could have, when you came here, you would have brought with you, but you brought nothing with you. You leave with nothing. He gives the, give, the giver something to give, and he gives the eater something to eat. We just want to eat the seed and the, sometimes the bread. But the tithe always belongs to God. And I heard about the seed and offering, and so that is something you must understand that nobody plants anything without expecting a return. In fact, you plan your seed depending on the harvest you want. No one's going to put pumpkin seeds and expect they're going to corn. Nobody. You, know, you can't sow money and not get money. You can't sow money and oh, I'm going to get my healing. No, that's not, that's not scriptural. And if, here in this country, if you, go, you want to sow wheat, you, you go to the co-op and you buy the amount of seed you need to to fill that land, and they'll ask you, well, how much land? And they'll calculate. And you might say, no, I can't afford all that seed. Well, you can't expect that harvest either then. So you, and it's nothing wrong with planting a seed with every expectancy of the harvest. Now, let's put that aside for a moment. This is what I really want to tell you. The offering is holy. It's something that's precious to the heart of God. There are many offerings did Jesus give offerings? Almost oh, certainly he did. They killed two birds when he was born, just to, at the ritual offerings right there. Right throughout his life, there were many offerings to be given. An offering is not a demand. It's something that comes from your heart, and that's what touches God. If you want to open the heavens, you can't give an offering you haven't tithed, because while you're giving your offerings and you haven't tithed, all you're doing is paying portionally your tithe, which is his. There's no sacrifice. It's not your sacrifice when it belongs to him anyway. But when you come to an offering, God is thrilled and moved by something that comes from your heart. Not a tip. Not something that's petty or small. David said, I will not give to God which costs me nothing. And I'm standing here not because I'm receiving an offering. It's because I so want you to have the freedom in your heart. Because I, it's the real thing. It works for me has done for many, many, more than 50, almost 50 years now. I'm not broke, I'm not poor, I don't have a set income, and I've never been without, not one day. I have not been poverty-minded. God's never kept me ever in a bad place, ever. My grandchildren are convinced I'm rich. <laughs> they are, they are, they think I'm an ATM. <laughs> they will continually, all of my wife makes jokes and says, no, you are rich. She is, that's one thing she can tell you she'll see in her, in walking with me all the years that God has never failed me. And it's never twice the same. Just you think, well, you got this. No, no, no. I'm a living testimony. God can. God can. And I want you to have that. I want you to have that freedom in your heart. So when you bring an offering to God, there's no expectancy of a return. You're giving to God and you're opening the heavens because God responds. Jesus was so excited about an offering from a woman that brought all she had, that he made a big scene of it. Not the large amounts coming in, but the major sacrifice that she gave. David said, I will not give, which cost me nothing. And so many of you, I so want to see God break through for you financially. I really do. And I mean it from my heart because this country will be so blessed when the salt of the earth, 
and the light of the world step in and take what's rightfully there spiritually. Do you understand? So this journey of this church to the building that God has, when you arrive at that building, it's going to be a triumph and it's going to sound a trumpet throughout this whole nation and nations, in fact. And so you're on a journey and every moment, every step we take is part of God's plan, but it's getting really close. And I want to warn you that God's plan is very sudden. It'll be very little warning. It's going to come suddenly on you that you'll plunder as you said today, Pastor, it's true when the Israelites left Egypt, they didn't plunder Egypt. They were owed 400 years of labor. All that money was owed them. Many of you have not got what's owed you. Do you understand? The kingdom of God has suffered violence. And God will take back. He will. You heard the, all those Isaiah prophecies that, we, that the pastor was reading so carefully. Now listen to me. So Gideon says God tells him to go in his strength. So what strength could Gideon have? He's a boy, he's not a soldier. What strength? In fact, he's so feeble that he asks, could you give me a sign? And he goes to get some bread, some flour, he bakes some bread and it's kind of flat pita bread thing. And then he brings some lamb and some broth. And the angel's waiting for him and says, go ahead, put that bread there and pour that broth on there. And he puts his stick to it and it absolutely explodes and lights up and it's gone in a second, as is the angel. And I would say that's a pretty dramatic sign. I think I would be convinced, period. For some reason, it wasn't enough for Gideon because he had to have fleeces. And you know the story, and I'm watching my time. That's why I'm going to speed a little bit on here. So he has all these fleeces in his life. So you're wondering, what is it that God saw that was his strength? Why did God, of all the Israelites, why would you pick Gideon? Even Gideon's dad had something going for him, but he didn't have the strength that Gideon had. Why? Because Gideon hadn't reached the place of corruption. His father was an Israelite that had built an altar to Baal. And he had also a pole of Asaph. And so God tells Gideon, now Gideon, I want you to go and bring down that altar and that Asaph pole and build God one and take the the fifth bull that's in your dad's house and bring it and sacrifice it in the hill and let's reestablish the altar to the Lord. And there is such a commotion. He's so nervous. He's so not full of faith and confidence. He goes at night. Well, everyone's sleeping. And they're not that poor family because he took eight servants. So they're quite an established family. But he did it, took a step of faith, and there's such a commotion the next day because this altar of Baal and the Asaph pole is gone. And they see what's happened, and they want to kill Gideon. And now his father steps up and defends him. So there's something in his father, but he wasn't eligible. He didn't have the strength. I know that Gideon wasn't compromised because he said, when the angel said, Great warrior, God is with you. If God is really with us, then why? He didn't even relate to Baal or to any other God. He had complete expectancy in God, frustrated as he was that God wasn't intervening because he was expecting God to intervene. He was demanding of God to intervene. Jesus said, let it be to your, according to your faith. For as much as you can believe, you can receive. 
God's not stressed by you having a tangle with him. That's what happened to Jacob. That's what Israel means, having contended. Anything in the word El means to do with God. Israel means to having contended, having fought with, having faced, having to dealt with. It is not always a pleasant confrontation, but it's an Israel having confronted with God. And God's not stressed by that. And so he came away with a limp, but it changed the life that followed after him. Are you listening to me? And so this Gideon had a strength in him because he was not corrupted, because he hadn't served Baal. He had still an expectancy in the God of Israel that delivered them. And so he would be the man that God would choose of all the Israelites. God picked this boy. Now I'm looking for some Gideons myself. I'm looking for someone in this nation that will have that heart. Because this is what the angel said, I'm sending you. I'll be with you. One boy and God. So the journey starts and he has 32,000 soldiers he gathers. There's 100,000 Midianites. We're a little outnumbered still. But they've got some determination. Yay, 32,000. God says, actually, Gideon, you've got a little too many. Let's bring them down. I thought we had too little, not too many. No, you've got too many. So we go down to 20,000. How's that? Yeah, not yet. Brings them to the water and they have to drink. And how they drink separates them. And we have end up with 300. We went down from 32,000. Something is wrong with your math, God. <laughs> Something is wrong with this picture. And Gideon, after all the fleeces and all the demonstration of God, is not completely confident in his faith and always amused me how that God finally sealed the deal of faith in his heart with his enemies' faith. Listen to me, stay with me. Because he goes into the enemy's camp disguised and he hears one of them talking, saying, I had a dream last night of a barley loaf that came rolling down the hill, crushing my tent. And the other one says, oh, that must mean Gideon's army is coming to destroy us. When Gideon hears that, boy, he rises up in faith. I'm going, what? After all you've been through, this is what gives you faith? His dream of your enemy? Something stimulated in him, and they went and, and embarked on that fire. One hand, a, a shafar, the other hand, a, a fuckle or a fuckle Afrikaans, a, a, a torch of some kind with flames. And so they stood on the hill, and those poor little enemies of theirs killed each other left all the spoils for them, as God said. But it was so fascinating to me that he had to hear word from his enemy. Now, our enemies, or enemies of God, will speak through people, and they'll tell you every day how powerful your God is. Listen to me. I have yet to watch a movie. When they cuss, use anybody else's name. It would thrill me to hear, oh, for Muhammad's sake. Hare Krishna, Buddha. You laughing because it's. But why? Why? Well, why would their name not be a cuss word? Because there is no other name given. Whereby man shall be saved. I don't believe in agnostics or heathens. No such thing. Because the moment they're in trouble, they call upon God. If you're real, then help me now. Show yourself. They always want to challenge God. 
or curse God when they die. They get so angry. They blame God for everything they want. They want to hurt God because this didn't happen the way they wanted. They're just proven by their behavior. In fact, at work, if you mention any religion, people find it interesting, but mention the name of Jesus who they don't believe in and watch how uncomfortable they get. They're always proving to me that he's real. They're always proving to me by their behavior that I'm following the Lord. They're trying to discredit me all the time, or you and I, because they just want to have that peace of mind, but they can't. They have not been able to still the voice. Now, God has watched over us and over his people. There is no religion on this earth that we are more tied to than the Jewish faith. And the Jews, we are one. They have just not accepted Christ as the Messiah. They're expecting the Messiah still to come. Pastor was reading from the book of Isaiah, which, so well, which they used, the Israelites or the Pharisees, that's when they were predicting the Messiah. That's when they saw it because the Romans were oppressing them. It was so tough on them. They were looking for a helper and a savior. And he came, but it wasn't what they were expecting. They were looking for a savior to deliver them from, once again, momentary time from the Romans. But he came to deliver them for eternity. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, we'd take up arms. No one takes my life. I lay it down. I give my life. He was in full control of the whole situation. Time after time, they tried to stone him and they could not. They could not kill him. When it was time, he waited for them to come and get him and he surrendered. Complete surrender. The Lamb of God. A completed work that we don't have to work for. A free gift of salvation. You don't have to adopt a religion. All you have to do is accept a free gift. You've got to be brain damaged not to want to be saved. There is no message on the face of the earth. You heard the pastor read from Isaiah about good tidings. It was very common for Romans that came and took over villages and cities that they'd get on a little platform and they would, they would, have, they would herald in their language the good news, the good news that you're free. Because what Romans came to do was to enforce democracy and to change things and take full control that all people had rights and they wanted to rule the whole world with this democracy. And so Jesus used the phrase when John was so distraught because the message of Christ was so different to something that he was expecting. John the Baptist, I felt so sorry for him. His whole life was dedicated to preparing the way. And so in the last few years of his life, before he launches his ministry, he ends up in a place called Qumran, a monastery with these Essenes who are extremists. The people are absolutely fanatical, waiting for some huge warfare and battle. And they write and the Bible, rewrite the Bible, and they're praying every day, which John learned from. So now he launches his ministry, he's preaching repentance and baptism, which came from the Essenes, very strong. I know a lot of you think baptism as Christians is actually very Jewish to do, mikvah to do purification, very pure, very common to do that and so John preached that and now after all that work he's in prison they're about to behead him and he's not sure anymore if his life meant anything so he sends word to Jesus are you the one didn't you prophesy that, <laughs> that this is I'm, I'm the one that to come I'm the savior whose sandals you're not worthy to tie I'm coming to giving the Holy Spirit I baptize what is all that about and Jesus answers him he says go and tell them that blind eyes open and deaf ears hear and the lame walk. And the reason why he says that is because that's what Isaiah says. And the good news. And the good news. And the good news. 
And the good news is preached to the poor. The good news is preached. The good news. You're not supposed to be poor anymore. He said, Jesus said, the poor will always be among you, not some of you. Why would they be among you? So you can help them, minister to them, but you can't help them. You've got nothing, silly. Was never God's plan for you to be broke. Reason why you don't have money is you're maybe not a good steward. I wouldn't give my children money if they keep wasting it. You don't like what I'm saying, do you? I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm too old to care. I told you. If you like me, I'm going to tell you the truth so you'll be free. You're not supposed to be poor. Jesus didn't drive an old beaten up broken car. He drove a brand new donkey. Didn't buy, didn't buy clothes at Woolworths. Lord, no. They wove a garment for him. It was serious garment. So serious that after three days of being dragged through mire and dirt and blood, they cast lots for it. They were such a gorgeous piece of clothing. Yeah, he wasn't poverty stricken, not at all. He wasn't wasteful, but he said, feed them for the 5,000 and whatever, has ever, how much ever they want, let them have it. Just don't waste what's left. Bring, gather again. Just don't be wasteful. But you can certainly have, you might need to be poor. You've got to change your mind. Do you hear what I'm saying? All right. So now Gideon has a strength in him. And his strength is that he's uncorrupted. And I'm looking for people that will make a, a pact with God to belong to him. To be, to be his, even if you're the last Christian on earth. I'm looking for those that God can restore. South Africa's had a visitation of God. I, I was born here in this nation, in Stellenbosch, and I was saved when I was 13, which is in the 60s. That's how old I am. And mid-60s, no less. And, and I got born again five Sundays in a row. It was such an amazing experience for me. <laughs> but I was in a very Pentecostal church right here in Plumstead, and they, they just <laughs> preached hellfire and brimstone, and we were just very on fire, and they made us fast and pray, and they made us pray through the nights, and they really worked us, and nobody seemed to get saved. Maybe once every six months, somebody got resaved, or somebody came in, or someone's family member, and then suddenly in this nation, something broke loose, and I cannot explain it to you. People were getting saved by the hundreds, and we didn't have big churches like this. And throughout this Africa, God moved. And in South Africa, you never heard of until now that we have police directing traffic on a Sunday because the churches are so big. So we've experienced an awakening or revival in this nation. And it's taken a somewhat a dip. And the devil would like to hold it back. But we've been given a baton. We've been given a, a flame to take to the world. Not the world to bring here, but to take to the world. When I was young, listen to me, we thought that, that the, the mecca of Christendom was America. They were the big Christians in the 50s and 60s. So when I was growing up, it was, they were the big thing. And now I live there, I can tell you they desperately need the gospel. They are so far from the gospel. If I witness to a waitress or a waiter in, my, in a restaurant, they'll call the manager and ask me to stop or leave. Just can't witness. I, I cannot dare to witness to a waiter or waitress here in this country because they won't get fed because they'll just get on the gospel wagon and they'll talk about it all the time. They get so excited about the Lord. Everybody's a Christian around me, it seems, compared to the, the world is desperate. And so this church has been being groomed by God and I, for the very voice of God. And your journey, because the Israelites had to go and possess the land that God gave them. God's given you property. He's already given it to you, just like he gave the Israelites land, but <laughs> there are a lot of different levels of battle on the way there. 
They didn't just walk into Jericho. They had to obey God and the whole process and one different tribe after another, right up to the Jerusalem, the last city, the last of those Jebusites. You had to bring them down step by step. And that's what this journey in this house has been. But you can't take away the history they walk with God. I just come from Israel last week and went through throughout the new city and I saw whole sections of these very devout Jews and clustered together and how hard they work. They have this mentality that have big families because they're really working hard to take back the whole of Israel and they believe in God for it. You know, for 2,000 years they were not a nation. And so God is restoring and doing the most magnificent things. To give you an idea, am I boring you? Israel has a river that comes from the Hebron all the way down the mountaintops have much snow even now when I was there and they melt and they bring this flood down with the Jordan all the way to the Galilean Sea and the, the banks always become flooded. So when Israel became a nation in 1948, the Turks and the English had bought up so much land, there was nothing left for the Jews that came to re-establish themselves in 48 and there was the one piece which was this valley going to Caesarea Philippi from Galilee, this wide valley that was just, nobody wanted it. So they could buy this land up, and they did. And for the first 40 years, the first generation, they tried hard to make it prosper. It was one struggle, and they failed and failed. And the next generation, same. 80 years went by, and it was a total disaster. And the rabbis came together and began to seek God, and God told them, change the names of the towns. Let there be victory to be seen and heard. And they began to change all the village names. Then God said, now plant eucalyptus trees. And that began to consume the water that was in the excess. And I was just there now a few days ago with my family to show them how extremely prosperous that valley's become. In the history of Israel, it's the most prosperous now and the most fruitful and most magnificent to watch. And God has changed it because they began to confess each time when they talked about where they lived, it was victorious. Even though when they did that, it was 80 years of destruction and negative and losses, constant losses. And they kept laboring. Why I want to tell you this is we don't give up. We just don't give up because of the first difficulty. Because you are all, you may have different color skins and different backgrounds, but now you're a child of God. You're a circumcised heart. You are a Jew. And we just don't give up. Do you understand? If we fall down, we get up again. There's only two positions, getting up and standing up. A righteous man falls, but he gets up. We stand up and we get up. We don't fall down. And there's a job to do that God has given this church. He didn't just bring a whole lot of people together to get rich. No, he's got a plan. He's got a destiny to touch lives and to set standards. And I heard, I heard that talk of schools, and it may sound crazy to you, but that's the only way you impact a nation, the only way you make a difference. It's, he sounds, he sounds, I, would thought, I would have thought he was a Jew when I listened to him talk today. <laughs> He's almost kosher. Hallelujah. <laughs> now, let me just talk about prophecy before my time runs out here, talk about prophecy. In this nation, we have a lot of people prophesying, and the prophets, and I'm glad for them, but here's the deal. If I prophesy to you the events that will take place in politics now or whatever happens in this nation, it doesn't benefit you one lick. It doesn't help the kingdom of God. It doesn't make you a better Christian. But everything pastor taught you a little earlier, everything, every word, I listened carefully, was for your benefit. 
as a child of God. So if you've got something critical to say, shut up. Because it's only going to bring you harm. Don't say it. Don't say it. So if I prophesied, and I can, I can prophesy into politics, I can tell you all kinds of things that will happen. But I, I'm not doing that. I went through a crisis with uh, Trump because I told him before he was elected that he'd only serve one term. And so when the Christians were into this whole cultish thing that they're going to keep praying him in, you know, we were all worried about tomorrow. I'm not worried about tomorrow. It's in God's hands. I mean, either God's God or he's not. We trust the Lord, right? He's the boss. Even Pilate said to Jesus, speak up, I have power of life and death over you. Jesus said, you have nothing except God give it to you. There's only one boss. There's only one boss. It's not Hare Krishna. Are you hearing me? So understand that I do not put my faith behind prophesying things in the nation and get you all on some strange scheme off track. Keep your focus on the Lord. Keep your focus on what God's given you to do. Find out what he's given you personally to do and keep after because you are extremely valuable to the Lord. He cares about you so intimately. And that's why I prophesy to individuals. Matthew, 5, Matthew, I'm sorry, Acts 15, verse 32 says that Silas, who was now Paul's companion, and Judas, another Judas, not the one that betrayed Christ, themselves being prophets, were able to strengthen and encourage the brethren greatly. So the prophetic ministry was even used in the early church to strengthen Christians, not predict difficulties. The only one example is when uh, the prophets come from Jerusalem to Antioch, and Agabus gets up and he prophesies about the famine coming. Nobody says it's God's judgment. No one tries to put a spiritual language to it. They go and send supplies to the churches to help them get through the famine. That's what the knowledge was for. So here I'm to tell you, don't you dare chase after some internet prophet, nonsense talking, junk, negative conspiracy theory. Stop that. Prophecy is real. It's to strengthen you, help you, encourage you. It is there to glorify Christ. The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. It must bring you closer to Christ or it's a waste of time. Do you understand what I'm telling you? Don't you fall after prophets that that's all about them, ego. They're usually not in, in a church. So a church is God's life. I will not lie to you. If you want to be a healthy Christian, be involved and locked into a healthy church. That's God's way. Jesus said he's going to build his church, not some house group or some ministry that's independent. It's a church. You need to be part of a family. Are you hearing me? So don't criticize it. If you've got offenses, get over it. Get it healed. Get it fixed. Life is full of challenges. Are you with me? Thank you for listening to this session of Come Celebrate. We hope you enjoyed.